Thank you, Rick and Miss Martha. I love to hear Miss Martha play the piano. All right, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I told you this morning that uh, we were going to look tonight at the text that I had originally planned to use for this morning until uh, I felt like God was leading me to the text I ended up using this morning. And uh, since I, I also tell you, this, this is the text that I planned to use this morning, but it's not really the sermon that I had planned to use this morning. <laughs> In light of this morning's text, it kind of changed the trajectory for tonight. But uh, I want you to, to not necessarily, uh, you don't necessarily have to turn and look at this, just, just consider uh, that in Matthew's gospel account that we'll be reading uh, here tonight in Matthew chapter 13, immediately follows, with just a brief little interruption there at the end of chapter 12, but our text tonight immediately follows the series of events and the discussion that Jesus had considering uh, the worthlessness of self-reformation. And so this just uh, immediately follows up uh, that discussion. Matthew records it immediately after that discussion. Luke does not. So uh, that's one of the reasons why we're using Matthew's account uh, here tonight, Matthew chapter 13. Uh, in, in Luke's gospel, it's interesting that, uh, that Luke puts uh, tonight's uh, text. Luke's got both of these stories. It's just Luke puts tonight's text before uh, the, the text from this morning. As a matter of fact, a couple chapters before. And you say, well, why is that? What's the difference there? If you notice that as you're looking through, uh, through your Bible and you might see if your Bible like mine has the parallel references above the text, above the section headings of text, so where else you can find that story. And you get to add that up and say, well, that doesn't add up. What's the actual series of events? Well, you've got to just look at, the, look at the details here. And while we know that all Scripture, uh, as uh, it said, uh, I believe Peter says, it's all God-breathed right? That it's all inspired by God. Every single word of scripture is inspired by God. He allowed each one of the writers, so each one of the gospel writers, each one of the New Testament writers, Old Testament writers for that matter, to write from their own perspective and from the own, their own life experiences as he inspired the things that they wrote. And of course, it's also important to, to realize they wrote to different audiences. You know, Matthew's audience, we'll be reading tonight from, from Matthew's gospel, and his primary audience would have uh, been, as they believe, been Jews, uh, Jewish believers, and getting the story to them so that they can rest assured that Jesus Christ is that Messiah they've been waiting for. Luke's account that we read this morning was written, he says, to a guy named Theopolis that we really don't know anything else about. And so different audiences, different purposes behind the reason why they're telling the story of Jesus but even if they put things in a little bit different order, we know that it's all true, and we all know that it's all inspired of God. But, you know, I think Matthew has it in the correct order for a couple reasons. First of all, look at the fact Matthew's an eyewitness to the things that happened. And uh, not, it doesn't discount Luke at all, but, you know, Luke was not an eyewitness. He interviewed eyewitnesses. He did research. He put all this together. Matthew was an eyewitness. And uh, also... If we just look at the words Matthew uses in this, look back in chapter 12 before we get to our, our reading of our main text this morning. We have, beginning in verse 43, the uh, scripture we used this morning talking about the worthlessness of self-reformation. And then look at verse 46 right after that. It says, while he was still talking, he's interrupted by his family. You ever been interrupted by your family while you were still talking? 
They might start interrupting me in a minute if I don't keep going. Truett will say, is it time to go? Then look at chapter 13, verse 1. Immediately after he was interrupted, it says, on the same day. So Matthew is very, uh, very explicit that all this happened in this order. This morning's text happened, then he was interrupted, and then on the same day, this happened. So Matthew's very clear that all this goes together. But there's one line that Matthew omits from the text we looked at this morning that Luke included. If you're following so far, if I hadn't lost you, this is important because it's this line that to me ties the two main ideas of these texts together. Over in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Luke ends that discussion where he says, Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We'd had this whole discussion about how you, know, you can't keep your life clean by yourself. As he says uh, there, beginning in verse 43, he says that unclean spirit goes out. But then he comes back and he finds the, the home unoccupied, the life unoccupied. So the unclean spirit takes up residency again. And so Luke records Jesus as, as giving the, the, the antidote to this problem by saying, you need to keep the word of God you need to hear the word of God and keep the word of God. So with that in mind, we'll read tonight's text in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It's so interesting to me that even though he's interrupted there for just a second, after Jesus has taught about uh, how to, uh, or he's taught about the fact that if you want to keep your life clean, you need to stay true to the word of God and you need to you need to be implanting yourself with the word of God. You need to hear it and you need to keep it. Well, then the next thing he teaches about is how to plant the word of God in your life. So this is an extremely familiar passage of scripture, and uh, we're not going to go through all the little details of it. We're just going to let Jesus preach the sermon, and then we'll draw some application from it, all right? Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Matthew says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And, on the whole, and, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some, uh, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And, and, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear let him hear. And after a brief discussion, we pick up in verse 18 where Jesus explains the parable. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seeds among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I pray tonight that, that you speak to our hearts and, and uh, do things here that I can't do tonight, Father. I can't do it without you. And I pray that you'd speak through me and uh, that you would use this scripture to, to touch our lives and to teach us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this is an extremely familiar teaching of Jesus. Uh, he took the effort here to explain it in verses 18 through 23. So if you'll stand, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so we could just dismiss. Jesus explained it all, right? But, oh, you pay me to be here a little bit longer. So, no. so in verse 1, we're not going to walk through it verse by verse, but there's some things I want to point out here and then draw an application from the teaching that we just read from Jesus. It says, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. You know, I tell you, Jesus had a busy day. If you go back and you read uh, all the way back to where this day begins and you read the, uh, the, the parallel gospel accounts and things that are happening around all of this, he'd had a busy day. He'd healed a lot of people from various diseases, we're told. Uh, it says he took the effort at one point to explain the true character of the Messiah. Uh, we find out that also on this day he healed and cleansed the blind and the mute who were demon-possessed. We read the story from Luke this morning about the, the, the boy he, that had the, the mute, the demon that caused him to be mute, to be able not to speak, and how he cleansed that. And it says he had been confronted by the Pharisees, and he had had a discussion with them about, you know, who he was. And uh, he'd even, uh, now this, this um, Jesus had an interesting day because he went so far as to accuse the Pharisees of committing the unpardonable, the unpardonable sin you know, I mean, I think he'd had a pretty um, interesting day with the discussion that came after that. Jesus declared judgment on unbelieving Jews that day. He, he warned against uh, self-reform. That's our sermon from this morning. And he's still not finished. And so as I'm reading through this and I'm looking at everything Jesus has done on that day, it's just, you know, sometimes I complained about everything I did today. And I hadn't done half the stuff that Jesus did. He's had a busy day. It tells us in verse 2 that a great multitude were gathered together. The crowds just keep getting bigger. The more he does and the more he teaches and the more he works, the crowd gets bigger. And so they go out by the lake, it says, and he spoke in parables. Why do he speak in parables? You know, looking up the definition of parables, one thing you'll find, one definition you might find is it says parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And we're very familiar with the fact that Jesus taught in parables. As a matter of fact, depending on uh, which uh, scholar you go with as you're, as you're looking through there and how you count them, they said there's as many as 55 to 75 parables throughout the gospel accounts. It just depends on what you count as a parable or not. There's some metaphors or similes that some would say is a parable, that others say, oh, it's not really a parable, but there's between 55 and 75 parables. Jesus used this a lot. Why did he use a parable? Well, I think we see this some in the text tonight. 
is that it disarms the listener. You know, you got to think about what was happening in the text that we looked at this morning and in the things that happened just before that as he's having these confrontations with the Pharisees and others. And, and you, you have to know that, that as he, it says, you know, he went out on the same day and the great multitudes were gathering. And so he got on the boat and he pushed out, you know, pushed out to teach. You got to know that the Pharisees continued to stick around and to listen. But what's he going to say next? You know, what kind of blasphemy, in their opinion, it wasn't really, they were the ones being, you know, blasphemous, but in their opinion, what was he going to say next that they could accuse him of? So you know they've got to be listening. So he, he, he talks in parables and in a way to kind of disarm the listener. You know, one thing I read said that the meaning of the parable was often driven home before the listener could resist the point that was being made. You ever gotten drawn into one of those stories? Some people are just good storytellers, and I'm not, because I'll chase rabbits, as I'm tempt, I sometimes do when I'm teaching or preaching. But a good storyteller, they'll draw you in, and then all of a sudden you realize they're like making this big moral point. And you're like, oh, yeah, that was a great, you know, it was a wonderful story. I just didn't really want you to step on my toe with that moral lesson you had there at the end, you know? That's what Jesus did. And sometimes, like this time, he told the parable in an effort to hide what he was saying from non-believers. But imagine how this parable immediately disarmed the listener. Those Pharisees who were listening, other non-believers who might have been somewhat confrontational who were listening. Imagine how this parable disarmed them because he starts off, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Something that every last one of those folks understood. In an agrarian economy, we think we have an agrarian economy here, and to a large extent we do, but it's nothing compared to the agrarian economy these folks were used to. They, they completely understood what he meant when he said a sower went out to sow. And they probably all could picture that. They all pictured the guy with his little bag of seed walking out to scatter the seed. And each time Jesus gave one of these lessons, like some of the seed fell by the wayside, they pictured that, and they knew what he meant. He said some fell on stony places. They pictured that, and they knew what he meant. As he gave each illustration, you probably looked out in the crowd and saw people nodding their heads. Yep, that's exactly what happens. Yep, that's exactly what happens. But all this time he's doing this, he's driving home a point that I hope we can get here tonight understanding. So just look real quickly. We're not going to we're not going to go into a lot of detail on them because Jesus already explained it in verses 18 through 23, but just consider some of the things, some of the imagery he used. The sower went out to sow. Said some of it fell on the the paths between the fields. As he said there some fell on the wayside. As you walked through, you know, they would have just just their fields just as far as you could see. Well, this might be your field, and that might be my field, and that might be another guy's field, and just a little path between them. And, and the paths were roads that people traveled on. As a matter of fact, we find in other uh, places in Scripture, like where, where Jesus and, and his disciples were accused of you know, plucking the grain and eating it on the Sabbath, and they were accused of violating the Sabbath. They were walking down one of these very roads. As they're walking down through, they're just these little paths. But because they're roads and paths, they're compacted. And so the seed would just lay on top of the ground there. Talks about the stony places. 
they would have known what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about came through a, you know, maybe out in this field you end up with, oh, that should have been a gravel pit, you know, just a lot of loose gravel. That's not what he's talking about. Because the, the farmers would have, would have the, the, the landowners would have taken a lot of pride in making sure they got all the small stones out. That's, it's a clean, you think this back here was clean? You know, when the guys got through with it and we got there and picked up all the sticks and everything, they took a lot of pride in their fields. There wouldn't have been little stones out there. He's talking about the harder, the, the, the rock that would have been just under the surface, the, the large rock beds under the surface. You know, not a lot of dirt on top, not a lot of place for the plants to get root. We get the imagery of the thorns where he, where he talks about, you know, uh, some... Uh, fell among the thorns in verse 7, and the thorns sprang up and choked them out. We get that imagery, and we get the good ground. And that a lot of time went into preparing that good ground. And so the seed flourished. So how does all that tie in to this morning? Well, earlier in the day, as we studied this morning, Jesus had said, it's not enough to just clean up your life. It's not enough to just, you need to clean up your life. You need to get rid of all the, the mess that's in your life, the, the, the little sins that you really think aren't bothering anybody. Oh, it's just, my, it's just my life. I'll do what I want to. The little sins, you, you think they're little, but, you know, they're, nobody else knows about it. Maybe a, a secret addiction or whatever it is. Jesus said it's not enough to just get rid of that stuff. It's not enough to just clean up your life because if that's all you do, it'll come right back. And it'll be worse than it was before. Jesus said you have to replace the bad stuff with the word of God in order to keep those unclean spirits, as he called them, as we saw this morning, from coming back. So now he reinforces the other side of that with this parable and says it's not enough to just read the Bible. It's not enough to just hear the word of God. It's not enough just to sow the word of God you got to clean your life up before the Word of God will have much effect on your life. So it takes both sides of the equation. You can't just clean it up, and you can't just apply the good seed. It takes both to make the ultimate change happen. You've got to clean it up. You've got to plow up those hard, compacted parts of your life. The part that, you know, you've just been stubborn about and I've just been stubborn about and, you know, that's my part of my life and I'll give God all this part of my life, but for so long I've held on to this part. Yeah, you got to give that up and plow that up too. And you got to allow the word to grow deep roots in your life. You know, I think about that, um, that's, you know, talking about the, the, some fell on stony places where they didn't have much earth and how they spring up and, and, uh, you know, as, as I was reading and studying about this, you said that for a short time, those plants would have been some of the most beautiful plants in the field. They've sprung up early, they've grown up big, but then as soon as that sun starts scorching them, they die. And, you know, I've seen it over and over again. It's happened in my life before. You hear a good sermon. Oh, you leave church. Oh, that was great. You know, you're on fire. You're a great sermon. I got to do this. And for the next, I don't know, 24 to 48 hours, 
You're a super Christian, you know? Teenagers go to SOAR. They go to church camp. I've gone to church camp and come back on a spiritual high that lasted about a day and a half, you know? I mean, that kind of thing happens. Jesus said it's not enough to just hear it. You've got to let it grow deep. You've got to clean up your life so it can grow deep. And so, so one more thing to tie all this together. And it's, it's something that uh, Brother Eric and I were having a conversation about the land this morning. And it's just, you know, all this just kind of, um, I said, oh, that all, that all works. Because this morning I told you that the effects of all this are not immediate. You know, we clean up our lives. And we begin replacing where that sin had taken hold in our life. We begin replacing that with the word of God, with time with God, with, with reading the Bible, with prayer, with, with listening to God. We begin replacing the, the, where the sin had, had, had a hold on us with the word of God. But, you know, sometimes, especially depending on how long we've held on to that sin, it can take a little while to fill that up. And that's where a lot of people get discouraged. And that's where a lot of people say, well, I tried that. You know, the whole filling up with the Word of God thing. It just didn't work for me, so I'm just going to go back to my sin. That was more fun, you know. At least I didn't stress as much about things then. But as we fill our lives more and more with the Word of God, as I told you this morning, it leaves less room for Satan's junk. That's the best word I can come up with to describe it, junk. Of course, there's a big scriptural word we use for all that process. It's called sanctification. That scares people. But I thought about something else this morning. I thought about the land. Yeah, it's back here. Sometimes I'm directionally challenged. I pointed the wrong way towards something the other day. Sometimes when I'm inside, I forget which direction is which. I was thinking about the land and how much work went into that. You know, you mean you remember what it looked like when we took possession of it. There is nothing pretty about a clear cut. Nothing at all. Now we've got grass growing. It's actually coming up out there. This morning I thought we need to get some mildew cleaner or something. That ground is turning green. It's the grass coming up. But imagine what would have happened if we took possession of that land, remember, it's just an ugly clear cut, and we said, you know, we need some grass out there. So we just went up to the feed store, bought us some bags of seed, and just went out there and started spreading it around that old ugly clear cut. You know what would have happened? It has still been an old ugly clear cut. Some of the grass might have sprung up here or there, but it wouldn't have taken long at all that it would have just been taken back over by all the undergrowth and everything else. But, you know, that's the way sometimes we try to live the Christian life. You know, i got all this ugly stuff inside of me, these things I just won't let go of. And, well, I'm just going to sprinkle some of this. You know, Jesus said the seed is the word of God. I'm just going to sprinkle some of this seed on my life and see how that goes. Well, I'll tell you how it goes. If you don't clean it up first, the seed doesn't work. The seed doesn't do, can't do its job. Folks want to read their Bible and say, oh, I'm doing my part. I read my proverb today. 
That's fine. Read a proverb a day, but read more too. But they don't want to, a lot of times we don't want to clean up the mess to allow that to take root. Sometimes folks, they want to come to church and hear a good sermon, but you know what? They can't do anything for you if you haven't prepared your heart to receive the message that God has for you when you get here. The prep work was done on the land so that it could be beautiful, so that it could live up to its full potential. And, you know, we can never live up to our full potential as children of God if we don't do the prep work to plant the seed. That's, that's, that's how that ties in to this morning's message. You know, there's one other thing. Said it doesn't, it's not immediate. So we were looking. This is the aha moment I had talking to Brother Eric this morning. We're just down here looking, and he said, you know, you see those, those little sticks, the little roots that are still left out there. You know, he said, over the course of the winter, the grass will grow, and, and those will begin to rot. And those will be, begin to, to go away as we begin to bush hog it. Some of them may get chopped up with a bush hog. Those will rot, and those will go away as the grass takes over, and and other things begin to happen. And, you know, sometimes that's what has to happen in our spiritual life. We get it cleaned up, and there may still be, there will still be some little sticks or some little roots of that ugliness of the sin. It's, it's, it's called our human nature. But as we allow the seed to grow in our life, the word of God to grow in life, and we continue to pour it on, and we continue to, to water it and to fertilize it by by reading God's word and studying it and, and coming and fellowshipping with each other at church and by, by doing all these things that we do as Christians, that other stuff that's still there, the ugly part that just is still there, well, it begins to get pushed out by as the seed grows and it begins to rot out as the seed grows. But it takes time and continual feeding of God's word into our lives. And the more that happens, the more our lives look like the life we're called to live. And that's a life that bears fruit, Jesus said. A life that bears fruit a hundredfold. Maybe 60, maybe 30. I think we all ought to shoot for a hundredfold. How about you? Is there anything else before we dismiss? If not, if you'll stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. I'm glad you're here tonight.